to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On the show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. If you can drop us a rating or review on Apple, we'd really appreciate it. And this episode, I am honored to welcome back to the show, Ryan McQuaid. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Thank you for having me back on the show, Rob. So uh, tell people that didn't hear our Phantom Thread conversation who you are and uh, what you have going on. I understand you're doing a lot of uh, David Fincher reviews going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we've been this year on In Session Film, at least on the extra film side, we've been doing um, these movie series, right? In place of doing just like two regular reviews that we normally did last year. And it kind of fell at a perfect time because then like the pandemic happened and right. <laughs> there was less out in theater. Well, there was no nothing in theaters and then it was just kind of scraps on VOD. So um, we started with James Bond and then we went to Robert Altman and then we went to David Lean. And now, yes, we are in the middle of our David Fincher stuff. We just finished talking about, um, you know, the game and, and Fight Club, and now we're getting into Panic Room and Zodiac and Ben Button, and and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, uh, kind of especially going back to early Fincher and and getting anticipated for Mank coming out later this year. Um, and so, yeah, me and my co-host Jay Better, we've just been having a blast. I mean, it's kind of reaffirming a little bit of, you know, what we already thought about him, but we're also catching things that we didn't normally see the first time. Cause when you see David Fincher films for at least most film fans, um, you're sort of younger or they're, you know, in your adolescence or as you're growing up to be a, you know, a, a critic or a film fan. So now seeing him as, you know, I'm older and more, you know, my tastes are different. Uh, some movies I like more, some movies I like a little less. And, and it's been interesting so far to kind of catch up on all of them. What do you think is the, the standout Fincher film? Like what is either your personal favorite or what you think, what you would consider his masterpiece or, or I guess the pinnacle of his career? Oh, that's, that's so tough. I can tell you that my least favorite um, okay. so far on the rewatch, and that has been the game. Um, and we had a, a very interesting conversation about, the game and and how that movie really is kind of a movie about nothing mm. um, and doesn't really feel like it feels like a good stab at trying to be about something, but it, in the context of following up seven, which is a stone cold masterpiece, um, it, it is a lackluster film. And then it's also the, the next film is fight club yeah, for a lot of people sandwiched between like two of his <laughs> most popular ones. Weird. <laughs> exactly. And so, and, and then yet my co-host Jay, he, he made a good point, which was that the game is the only Fincher film technically to get a full kind of criterion uh, release. I know that Benjamin button is technically in there, but um, it doesn't have like a cool, you know, kind of collector's box or whatever, you know, and, and box art and stuff. So it's interesting that that movie is in the, the Criterion Collection and they consider that one to be usher, upper echelon sort of Fincher. But for me personally, I I watched it and I just, I got nothing out of it. And then we got a ton of ton of comments on that. <laughs> um, I, I, I For me, you know, and I haven't rewatched it recently, but I know 
that going into the series for me, Zodiac is my favorite film of his. Um, I think it's the perfect balance of everything um, he does as a storyteller. Um, it's also like one of the, it's really like the beginning of his like sort of airport novel sort of you know, mm-hmm. adaptations where he's starting to go into the airport and, Oh, I found a book about the Zodiac. Let me uh, adapt that. Um, or let me do the same thing with the accidental billionaire or gone girl or <laughs> girl with dragon tattoo. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, um, you know, Fincher was on a f- lot of flights to find all these books. Um, so uh, I, I personally think it's Zodiac. I love the performances. I love how like it uses time and journalism and, you know, the uncovering of this. And then it is a film that is very unsatisfying for most audiences. At least it was the first time I ever saw it because of the fact that you don't get real resolution. And I, and I find that fascinating because usually Fincher does a good job with his films. It's sort of tying it up in a nice bow or he has a twist or something in there. This is the first time in Zodiac, at least where he doesn't have something like that. And so it'll be interesting on the rewatch when we did the full review and, and going and seeing if that is still what I think his number one film is. Um, and it falls in that year of 2007, which is just one of the greatest years in cinematic history. And I mean, we'll talk, we're, we're here to talk about another film that that didn't get nominated for best picture and didn't get a lot of Oscar love, which is, which was crazy. When I went back and checked on that, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, two nominations. Yeah, yeah and, that's it. And and zero it, and wins too, which is like okay. But then you have like something like Zodiac, which comes out in that crazy year, and it got nothing. Yeah, nothing. And it was released really early in the year, but but still, it's like, how did that movie not get something? It's it's so good, and um, yeah, maybe if it was released the next year, it would have been like a bona fide player or something, but then he had been button the next year. So you never know. Um, right. Which I guess is more Oscar friendly in it's uh, <laughs> content. I, I, it's, it's yeah. really interesting to me how Fincher in, in particular seems very divisive, like of all the director, the super stylized director, the Tarantinos, the PTAs, the Nolans, the, the Coens, the, you know, um, mm both the Wes Andersons who are all kind of considered in like the modern, you know, uh, master class uh, yeah. filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, how, how divided people are on Fincher specifically. Like you have the, like you were saying the casual fans or, or the, you know, more casual moviegoers maybe who aren't critics who, who aren't maybe, uh, as well, as well versed in everything in his career, they mm-hmm. always go straight fight club or, or seven. Oh, and then, yeah. I feel like Zodiac is seems like it's a pretty heavy favorite among critics. And I, I really need to go back and rewatch that too. Cause I had a feeling you were going to bring that one up when I asked the question. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the other kind of lock stock answer for recency bias is the social network. I saw mm-hmm. that a lot on everyone's top 10 of the decade. Um, it made a spot on mine and I think it's just because it's so relevant and, uh, sort of everything that's gone on with Zuckerberg and, and Facebook and, and the ideas of that film really do carry on 10 years later and mean something totally different, even if those aren't word for words exactly what happened in those you know, meetings with the Winklevi and, and everyone else there with Mark Zuckerberg. At least you know the general tone in which how this kid who was you know very much ostracized and uh throughout his entire college experience destroys those people around him to gain that power 
And then ultimately now he's one of the most powerful men and he's using a platform that is uh, scrutinized every single day and he's playing ignorant to it all. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's, it's really fascinating. And, and I've been an advocate for, for a while now of maybe it, getting that sequel turn that was, you know Sorkin and yeah. Fincher have have kind of winked winked at they kind of have to i think after yeah. how much zuckerberg has been in the news the yeah, last those public years, hearings alone like, would yeah. be fascinating for dialogue you know what i mean and uh i i i think i don't know if it'll ever happen i think that the film is enough of a damning indictment on the current state of mark zuckerberg uh by exploring his past and um i always think that when people um, <laughs> when people don't like something and they're public figures, usually that tends to mean you got it right. Mm. Um, you know, so I think when he came out and said he didn't like the film or he wasn't going to see the film, it's like, oh, they must have got it really good. And then, like now, everything that's happened a decade later, I'm like, oh, they really got it good. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's another one that's right up there. I mean, it's 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 so good. And then you have all those performances. I mean, that's the great thing about Fincher is he's able to kind of surround himself with such a fantastic cast in every one of his movies and have actors that you never even like thought about that would be good enough for these roles. Like in fight club, you have meatloaf and then like in, um, you know, social network, you have, (laughs) you have, uh, Justin Timberlake and in, in, in gone girl, you have Tyler Perry, you know, you have all the, these, these sort of, performances and you go wow i never thought in my wildest dreams those actors would give some of the best performances in a fincher film and then they do and um yeah i think he's one of the best directors working today but i also think he's very polarizing as a personality Mm -hmm. (laughs) to seems to drive some actors crazy and then others are drawn to him like a moth to a flame so um, yeah it'll be interesting 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 to see what happens with mank and how that ends up oh yeah how that turns out. Uh, it just yeah, seems prime for him to, to, it feels so much like a story. And then like the, the stills we've already seen, I mean, I'm like, Oh yeah, that looks like Fincher. All right. That, mm-hmm. that you know, these, <laughs> you know, this definitely feels like, you know, I haven't even, we haven't even seen a trailer or anything and I'm just already feeling like, God, this feels so much like him. Like it feels like him getting a blank check for Netflix to make a black and white film about the, you know, behind the scenes of one of the greatest films of all time. Like that just seems like a, a, a move he would want to make since he is in a lot of ways, a historian, I think too, you know, with Mindhunter and, and Zodiac and, and social network and things of that nature. Like the guy likes to take a look at interesting parts of history and the behind the scenes of all of it. Yeah. That's actually an, an unintended a uh, pretty decent uh, segue since <laughs> Citizen Kane is a classic movie from 1941 and we're here to talk about a classic movie from 1952. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Singing in the Rain right now. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, we're happy again. Walk down the lane with a happy refrain and singing, just singing in the rain. Hold it, Dexter. Oh, well, Mr. Simpson, 
we're really rolling. No, well, you can stop rolling at once. Huh? And the public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. <laughs> That was a little bit of the trailer for Singing in the Rain, directed, co-directed rather, by Gene Kelly himself and Stanley Donan, who also, I believe, choreographed the movie together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last time we had you on, we talked about <laughs> Phantom Thread, which is a, I can't even imagine a more different movie than Singing in the Rain. So, so how, how did we make that leap from Phantom Thread to Singing in the Rain, Ryan? I I like to challenge an audience and what their belief system is about myself. Um, uh, I'm not some sort of film bro that will only talk about certain films. Um, you know, no. And in, in, in all honesty, the the reason why I wanted to talk about Singing in the Rain is because I've really never talked about Singing in the Rain anywhere on a podcast other than to say that I think it's a great film. Mm-hmm. and why it's my favorite musical of all time and it's a deeply personal one for me and a lot of people have this movie as a deeply personal one because i think we all see it at our childhood we all see this movie relatively when we're young and we attach ourselves to it because of you know gene kelly and donald o'connor and debbie reynolds and that first iconic shot of of their names on the umbrellas and them just walking in the rain in the raincoat singing you know singing in the rain and, and that's how the movie starts but for me i mean my introduction to cinema in general was through musicals um through westerns my mom showed me musicals my dad showed me westerns um and then somewhere in the middle i i watched spy films and bond and and things of that nature. And then my curiosity just kind of grew from, from those three genres to what I love now, um, which is independent cinema and and classics and and things of that nature. So ultimately the reason why I chose singing in the rain is very personal because the fact that um, I think that in also a time right now, to talk about one of the most positive films mm-hmm. of all time on any platform is a wonderful thing to kind of remind everybody of the wonderfulness of cinema and the wonderfulness of, of basically genuine joy when you go to the cinema. Um, I saw this movie a couple of years ago when it had its anniversary run and my wife had never seen singing in the rain. Um, which had shocked me because we had been dating for five years and I felt extremely terrible at myself that I let myself down because I couldn't believe I allowed something like that to happen. <laughs> I showed her all these other movies and she showed me all these movies. And then I said, well, you've seen Singing in the Rain. She goes, nope, I've never seen it. And I went, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like what have I done? I should, this one should have been like day one viewing for us. It's such a, a universally you know, accessible film. And so I bought two tickets for our, our, you know, our local screening because they were doing the restoration. And I, it is one of my favorite moments I've ever had in the theater with my wife. And it's one of my favorite theater-going moments of all time is to sh- kind of introduce her to this film. And now that it's on almost every time, you know, even though she's like, oh, no, I'm not singing in the rain. And she knows that it's gone again or whatever because it's on TCM a ton, right? It's like one of their most... Uh, well-shown films. 
we get in, engulfed in it and we we fall in love with it. And at the end of it, you're you leave with a smile on your face and kind of start singing and dancing around your house probably while you're cleaning <laughs> and stuff too. So yeah, I've kind of figured a heavy film like Phantom Thread might as well bring some levity and, and bring in one of the lightest and best films of all time. Yeah, no, totally. And I should probably tell you, I didn't see this movie until a couple of years ago either. Oh, uh, okay. And I, I <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, it's fine. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not saying like, if you haven't seen this movie when you're in your childhood, you, you have, uh, yeah, how dare you? I'm just well, like, it's, and it's as not, a guy that's introducing films to, and we're introducing yeah. films back and forth to our significant others and, the, and movies are such a big part of it yeah. to know that I didn't do that. I was, I, I felt terrible. Like I was like, how did I not give you? I let you the, down. Yeah. yeah. I let you down. I let my wife down. And then I show, but and then I, I bought the tickets. I took her to a nice dinner and everything. And we went and saw this on the big screen. And I mean, she, she was all smiles throughout it. I mean, she was just tap dancing. She was moving her feet in the aisles. I mean, she was, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to, you know, I'm, I'm doing it a little bit right now, you know, thinking about some of the, the musical numbers that Gene Kelly is able to pull off. I mean, it's, it's an incredible, incredible movie. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's, it, and it's not that I never, that I, you know, purposely avoided it. It's more that I feel like it was one of those movies that was, it's so pervasive in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few classics like that that I've only really seen the last few years that it's like, oh, that, that was actually good. Why didn't I just watch that sooner? Because it's, you sort of feel like you have seen it even when you haven't just because, you know, we, I live in Florida and we had the great movie ride over here in, in uh, formerly Disney MGM Studios and that's part of it. And there's a, a portion of the ride where you're going, you're like in your little car and you're going past the outside of the the you know the outside of the apartment building with the street lamp and there's like an animatronic gene kelly singing and all that so it's something that i i have been aware of and i just it just slipped past me and i was one of those kids uh who was you know not i was really more i grew up with a lot of you know the the we talked a little bit before we started recording about like people kids that see things when they're not really you know and inappropriate ages. So I grew up with like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and like mm-hmm. you know Terminator Two and you know Batman and and like these are the movies that I grew up with. I saw a lot of like the old school action uh, and sci fi, Total Recall and that kind of thing. Watching that at like I don't know eight to ten, whatever I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I show my wife those now, and she's like, "You saw this at what age?" And I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so I, I was really more into that genre, though, that kind of movie that I would watch yeah. with my dad. Uh, and because of that, I wasn't really raised on a lot of the classics. So I've had to just kind of seek them out uh, myself now. And when you're caught up in the day-to-day of keeping up with, uh, you know, we were talking about Tenet and Mulan and how the industry is sort of bifurcating in a lot of ways. Um, it's I think it's important, and this has been a good use of this la- the last few months with the pandemic to make an, make an effort and go back and seek out those classic movies. And, you know, I mentioned, I saw this on HBO max. There's a lot that they have a really great library. Oh, they're of so great. Classic I mean, movies. Like I've been using them more than Netflix and more than like prime and things like that, because they have the TCM library on there. So there's mm-hmm. lots of, you know, a lot of great uh, opportunities to see these movies that you've maybe heard about forever, but never actually been like, you know what, let me actually set aside time and watch that instead of tiger King or whatever Netflix decides to put out that week. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I mean, like I've been so impressed with them. I mean, a lot of uh, 
sort of, I, I even like Fincher movies that I've been doing on the rewatch, like they've had those, but then, yeah, I, I, I had to, do, I was, I was able to go on Kevin Jacobson's podcast and I had to watch a ton of movies for 1940 and, and, you know, in the forties and stuff. And, and, and I was so pleasantly happy that like majority of the titles I needed to see were on it, on that. And yeah. then, yeah, I, I, I rewatched it. You know, I rewatched it in the rain on HBO max and, I mean, like you just kind of, you kind of just press play and you sit back and I think there's only, I think there's like a handful of films that I just, I put on and I smile at. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's three films for me and, and two of them are, are for reasons that are very personal and another one's just because it's like you grow up in an era. And so for me, those three films that put an absolute smile on my face are Singing in the Rain um Casablanca I watch that every year on Oscar day the ceremony itself I watch that two hours before the ceremony every year have it on uh, I'll watch it while I cook or I'll just sit there and I'll watch or whatever it is and that movie when I when it starts I just it just for some reason it puts a smile on my face because I know how great it is and then that last film is Anchorman because <laughs> I mean it just starts off with one of the greatest narrations of all time and so but I mean singing in the rain is is I mean it is the greatest musical of all time like I mean there there is there are some others you could possibly put in there, but for me, um, the, the the conversation just is what is second place for you because the first place should be, I think, singing in the rain at least, and because of the fact that I just think there's there's nothing wrong with this movie. It is a it is the I think clinical definition of a perfect movie. Um, I think even the sort of Broadway melody part that a lot of people seem to always say, well, you know, it's got that part in the middle that goes, you know, completely different from the story. Yeah. I still love the ambition and I love the spectacle and I love how it's so different than the rest of the film. And, um, you know, it just, it's, it's, it feels very Gene Kelly esque. Like it feels like, yeah, of course he would want to do something like this. And you know, it's the guy that made American in Paris. It's the, one of the greatest actors of all time. You know what I mean? It it feels so much like him. And, and I mean, to kind of go into the backstory and, and to look at everything about this movie, not just even the film itself and, and kind of contextualize it as a whole, how, crazy difficult it was to make and to even get launched and started i mean it is one of those films where you could literally make a movie about the making of this movie kind of surprised they haven't done that already and yeah <laughs> well you know i guess david fincher will wait about 20 years and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. um but no um i don't or, or maybe i actually would I actually think like somebody like Greta Gerwig would be perfect for this Ooh, uh, with yeah, the light touch. Um, but, um, but in all honesty, I just think that it, it is, it's so interesting, like where all the music comes from, you know, it's from scrap projects that are just kind of sat there. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's like, imagine, you know, that these songs have been just kind of recycled and used and how they're, they are known for being in this film. And I mean, the, the songs in this movie I mean, we can talk about them now. We could talk about them later. <laughs> I mean, they're just so damn good. And right. um, I, I, I just, I, I, like I said, it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with this movie. 
I'm glad you brought up the Broadway melody thing because that would have been like maybe the one thing that I would have been like, it kind of drags the, like it's, it's ambitious as a set piece, but when you throw it in the middle of the movie, it just all of a sudden it's, it, it stops in its tracks, which on, in one hand is, is really ambitious. And of course it is just like Gene Kelly to, to put like a, what is it? 10 minutes or something. It's, it, it's yeah. It feels extensive. like 10, 15 minutes. Like. Yeah. And it, it just in the middle of the movie and you, um, you know, you've, it's like you're not even watching singing in the rain anymore. You're watching it totally. It's like a movie just dropped another movie right in the middle of this one. And I I admire it for the boldness of that, but it's also like, this is a nice tight 103 minutes and it, the pacing is just a little bit jarring when you're going from, (laughs) you know, singing in the rain to now you're like, Whoa, what the hell is happening? No, Um, I, I, I love, it's it's amazingly done though. I mean, it's not a takeaway from the, the, the work itself, obviously. No, 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 no. I, 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 I totally get what you're saying. I mean, like it is, it is a little bit jarring. I yeah. think, it, I think you kind of just get swept into the movie though. Um, you know, in kind of hindsight, if you see it like a hundred times, like I have, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. start getting, you kind of start getting to the point where you're like, I could get, I could get over this part. Um, yeah. But yeah. then you kind of realize that, I mean, there's a purpose as to why he's telling all this is, is because, you know, he's, he's trying to paint the picture of, of what the the intro to the the dueling cavalier is going to be and how it's going to kind of you know sort of um, you know it's going to transition into into the into everything right and because uh, they talk about how they need a modern kind of number to to kind of get in into that you know world right right and <laughs> he kind of gets and it's kind of like a joke because he gets the, the whole sequence gets carried away and then towards the end when he explains it <laughs> they go back and they cut back into the story and they're like okay yeah yeah something like that i guess you know i, mean? yeah, I think <laughs> our i think rf is like i don't know if that's gonna work he's like i need to see it on film <laughs> yeah exactly and i think it's i think it's like this wonderful like meta joke in there yeah. too about like <laughs> yeah we know this is long we know that you know uh, we're we're dabbling a lot in the past and you know we you know, we didn't have to do this number, but I think, I think it's so, it's still within the, the kind of the constraints of the film. It's, it's so, it's so well used as a joke too, um, that you can't also just kind of go in like, of course, like that. It, it is, it is interesting because it, that is an actor, you know, getting to kind of give the studio head the note, not the director, you know, not uh, not another producer, not even the studio head. It is an actor. So, this guy who's really never been a director before is going all out in this dream sequence to sort of you know <laughs> to transition into the film that they've already made, right? And it's so over the top and it's so elaborate and it's so crazy that the studio head goes. Well, I gotta, I gotta kind of see this on camera. You know, what I mean, I can't. You know, the way you're telling me it sounds fine, kid. You know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> it's, it, I, I laughed at that a little bit too. That kind of meta contextualization of that, like, you know, maybe Don really isn't like a, <laughs> maybe he isn't a director. You know, he's still an actor at heart. You know, uh, and an actor that that overreaches. I mean, like he doesn't even come up with the, the idea of doing capital. It's kind of like Kathy's. Uh, sort of thing, you know. I mean, and, uh, it's also kind of Cosmo, and they all kind of get it together. But it, without them, he he really doesn't get that. He creates this on his own, and it's so crazy and over the top that you kind of have to admire its its beauty, but then also admire its absurdity as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I I love how you know. Obviously, we start with 
Don Lockwood is a silent film star and all that. So I love that. First of all, we're watching a movie that came out in 1952 that's set in 1927. That's essentially a, a piece of historical fiction, yeah. uh, sort of sort of documenting the shift from silent movies into talkies. And I think in that way, it, it elevates not only, I mean, it elevates the material because you're you're watching a movie that's commenting on the actual history of, of cinema itself. And that's why I think part of why I was so surprised to realize again, that it didn't really get any Academy love because they love giving Oscars to movies about movies. So I don't know how they <laughs> missed that. Um, <laughs> any, any thoughts on like kind of the, the meta commentary on the industry that the movie has to offer? I think it's a, I think it's sort of a f- fair commentary on it, you know, especially at the time, like you're talking about, actors under contracts and, and and these contracts are to make these certain films. And, and I mean, studios did this a lot way back when, as mm-hmm. opposed to they don't do this now where sort of seem like you build the same people in different scripts, you know, over the sort of a four or five year span. Right. You know? Um, and so, and I, and I love all that because it also shows, I love the sequence where Don is at the premiere and he's talking about, the the kind of rise to fame that he had and he's you know overdoing it for the the press but then it's cutting back to what actually happened which is like you know he was a nobody and and he you know basically became a a stunt guy um, because he's like i'll be i'll do anything i'll take a punch i'll you know i'll fly a plane off a into a building i'll do whatever it takes you know to get into a picture and then he breaks in and then of course lena played by Gene Hagen, she just, she, you know, kind of catches it onto him like a, you know, like a leech. (laughs) And, um, because, you know, he gets tapped to be the, the next sort of leading man, um, you know, based off his hard work in good looks, of course. And, and so I always found that sort of commentary very interesting about how that's probably really how it happened a lot back then. You know, you start off in these smaller roles, you sort of build up your cred in the industry. Nowadays, it's, uh, it's, it's some of that can happen. Um, I think it's more about people auditioning and discovery and finding people and um, the process. I mean, this, this commentary for this movie is totally different than what we have now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's perfectly representative of the time too and shifting from silent films to you know standard talking you know pictures that we have nowadays and you know sort of like the scene at the party where they're showing the the picture on the screen and, and the they test footage like, of the yeah and they think like she's behind the screen yeah, he's, yeah talking into a picture you know into a record you know like it's it's so funny and over the top but then like you know you think of like uh, i saw uh the movie brief encounter this year uh, from David Lean, and there's a scene in that where, like, it has you know, sort of like the music and the talking and stuff like that, and then the audience is getting kind of scared and intense when they're when they're in that movie theater scene. So it's always kind of fun, funny and interesting when when they've taken when directors and, and projects have taken a look back at that era and how it's kind of shifted. But as for its Oscar chances, I mean. I think the problem with singing in the rain kind of falls what I think sometimes happens a lot in modern times as well, which is you have a director or a team 
in this case, you know, Donnan and, and Kelly, and they had just come off of winning a ton of Oscars for American in Paris, right? Mm-hmm. And they just put so much time and effort. I mean, they almost didn't make this picture because they were so spent on on American in Paris. And so that, you know, the screenwriters had to rework the script a little bit and kind of, you know, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then uh, they they found their way in um, to the to the whole story. And then, of course, the rest is history. But, I mean, I think that it's that thing where you don't really see a lot of directors unless they really, really like you, the Academy. Even nowadays, like, you don't see a lot of directors where they where they make a project and they get tons of nominations and maybe even they 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 win right um, Oscars and then their next film they kind of disappear and then two years later they make their third the third film and then they're like oh they're back at the Oscars and it <laughs> probably wasn't as good as the second one but it's still a good movie I think I see that a lot with when it came to like a good example is like Barry Jenkins. Right, you know, he got a ton of love for Moonlight, one best picture, and everything. Right, then he goes and makes it. Bill Street and talk, and he doesn't get picture. He doesn't get director. He got screenplay nomination. You know, somebody else won in the categories, supporting actress. Right, but and there was a couple other ones, but he doesn't get all the way. The film doesn't get all the way there. Um, even something like Jordan Peele is another wonderful example. Like Get Out big succession, you know, us, another, you know, critical and box office success, you know, us goes this last year's Oscars gets nothing. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's not something that is new. Um, and it's not something that's gone away. Um, I think that that plays a little bit into it. I think also like the year itself, I mean, there, you know, I, I personally think that the greatest show on earth is, is not a great film and it's definitely not better than <laughs> singing in the rain for sure. I think singing in the rain is the best film of 52, uh, right up there with high noon. Those are the two films I think everybody kind of takes away from the year because high noon is, is an all time great Western. Um, you know, that's, it's a very short movie too. So it's very contained. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it just goes a little bit with, in terms of Oscars for singing in the rain, it goes to that, you know, maybe people just couldn't grasp with the fact that it's another Gene Kelly musical so soon or so, you know, right after they just awarded it. And it's a damn shame because I think singing in the rain is actually the better film. I know a lot of people love American in Paris, but uh, for, for me personally, singing in the rain is, is the far superior film. And that happens sometimes. It, it did. seems like it did decently it was a success at the box office but it wasn't like far away uh, a smash or anything either uh and the only acting nomination was gene hagan as Lena totally Lamont, deserved which she's pretty great in this yeah. to be fair i mean oh. they're they're all the four main actors are all pretty great but i mean gina hagan is lena lamont is, is a pretty and I can't stand him. You know what I mean? Like she reminds me. I don't know if it's just again HBO Max. If I've been watching too much of the, <laughs> that animated Harley Quinn, but she sounds a lot like Harley Quinn, <laughs> the animated version of Harley Quinn. Like if Gene Hagen had said Puddin', it would have blown me away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Lena Lamont is, is a ton of fun in this, and uh, I think the movie is also like thematically. It's his whole thing when he's telling. You mentioned that when he's telling his story. Uh, which I love that sequence as well. He's talking about his motto, dignity, always dignity. It feels like that's a major theme throughout the movie as well, because a lot of it is, you know, doing the, uh, doing the right thing in a business that (laughs) kind of uh, rewards when you don't necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And 
um, you know, having the, having that integrity and how it, how it uh, shapes your career or the consequences thereof. And I think that really culminates in the end when, you know, when uh, Lena's deception is outed and Kathy Selden is kind of uh, rewarded with her own career. And I, I, what do you, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the statement of that? And then obviously, well, I think we'll get to the cast themselves because we've got to go through these three main players, especially. Yeah. I mean, I think that it goes back to what you were saying a little bit earlier in terms of, you know, what does you think this says about the industry? Right. Right. And, and I think your idea there about the dignity, I think that that's where the one thing you can say that it is a movie because in this industry, it is a, it is a, there are things that uh, uh, you don't want to know Mm-hmm. <laughs> what goes on behind closed doors it's it's very much like the the sort of uh the mo- you know the song in hamilton you you don't get to know what's in the room the room right happens, happens. Yeah. yeah yeah you don't really get to know that you know you don't uh, you don't the other analogy you don't get to know how the sausage gets made you know mm-hmm. um you know you just know that the picture's on the screen and you go and you pay your money to see it and i think this film shows a lot more of the optimism of how filmmaking happens, right? It, I mean, it shows a lot of the process of how movies made and how the, the sound is kind of put together for a movie and the acting and especially in the silent films as well, right? You, you kind of always wonder like, what are they saying? Are they actually saying lines? I love the scene where Don and Lena are talking about how she got Kathy fired. Right. And the arguments, yeah, during the filming. Yeah, I love during the filming so and you know, you know, sticks and stones, right? And and just kind of the the going back and forth between the two of them. And I always found that to be extremely hilarious and extremely interesting because I always wonder like what do they actually say in silent movie? Are they actually saying lines? Are they saying just kind of gibberish? Even like movies with dialogue when like there's the a scene at like a dinner table, right? And everyone's sitting there and they're kind of talking and, and, uh, but music's playing over. So there's no dialogue there. Is there dialogue written in the script? Are they just having a normal conversation? It's that sort of ambiguity of, of cinema. But then of course, like at the, you know, as the movie goes on, it does show its teeth. You know, I think it shows that with what Lena does to Kathy, it shows what, some people in this industry have to do in order to survive, which is be a cruel, vicious villain. And, you know, you, you can kind of understand what mm-hmm. happens to Lena. Cause I mean, she's, she's a silent actress, you know, superstar with a voice that is not made for the talkies. And so <laughs> to lock up Kathy, you know, in this deal with, you know, the pictures and RF, uh, I, 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 I understand where she's coming from but i also understand like she is definitely the villain she's you know she it's it's really bad that she has to there has to be a villain because i think the movie's so positive Mm. and lena being that is 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 sort of tragic for me too because i think while she's the butt of her own joke she's also very popular and she could probably in a way find out you know well, you know, find a way to work within the industry. But I mean, even though they tried so hard, I mean, like the the, the talking lessons, you know, the, you know, the ta, ti, ti, ta, you know, like, and, and it can't stand them and stuff like that. And, and all those lines. And uh, it, to me, I found, I find it interesting at the end where we don't really find out what happens to Lena, you know, at, at the end, she kind of just kind of runs off the stage and crying because it's all revealed. And, you know, Kathy gets, to have 
I would assume a career and, and be in a loving, I mean, that's the kind of whole ending is right. It's, it's all happy and rainbows and, right. and that, you know, these two get to be the next, um, you know, sort of power couple on Lockwood and, and Selden. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. and it's, and, and it totally works. Um, I don't know. I always feel for Lena a little bit just because, yeah. you know, the, you gotta, it, it, you know, not everyone is, is, is made for the talkies and then you kind of push that sort of era out. It's, it, 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 it sucks. Cause then like, where do those actors go? So, but, right. but she is the villain and she's a deliciously wonderful villain. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, she gives, she definitely deserves her Oscar nomination. She's a lot of the comedy in the film is her and, and, uh, in, in Donald O'Connor, you know, with his yeah. one line, oh, yeah. you know, kind of going back and forth between the two of them. I absolutely love their performances in the film. And they, they, they are, I think the highlights along with Debbie Reynolds in the film. I mean, Gene Kelly's easy to say, but I think those support, and it's kind of a given how great he is. Mm-hmm. It's everybody else in the film that I think really are, are what make this a classic. Yeah. I mean, the physical comedy with Lena, you get that moment where somebody, I forget who it is, walks in and pulls the cord. Like, this isn't safe. And she like goes flying because the mic is all, she's all wired up with the mic. Uh, To your point earlier too, about the sort of onset reality versus what the movie portrays. I mean, there's even just in my cursory research for this episode, there was a lot of onset conflict with Gene Kelly, who was kind of, tyrannical i guess is the best mm-hmm. word for it with donald o'connor with debbie reynolds you know there's a there's a lot of legendary behind the scenes stories of debbie reynolds like you know found fred astaire found her crying and yeah. helped her with her <laughs> dancing and and uh there's also like the irony that debbie reynolds herself is dubbed over a couple times in this movie once yeah. by, by gene hagan that's like i feel like that that's sort of uh very meta. Yeah, that, that's sort of. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's insane. To now, I'm obsessed with somebody making a movie about the making of this movie <laughs> because the irony of this like uber positive, everybody's all smiles movie. Meanwhile, you read the stories of like uh, Donald O'Connor doing a make him laugh and then having to do it again and having to be like bedridden for a week afterwards because he was a heavy smoker at the time and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Uh, it's like, I want to see that dramatized I, or, or there's gotta be a, I'm sure there's a book out there about it or something, but oh, yeah. that I would love to hear more about how that, uh, <laughs> again, how the sausage gets made. Like what, <laughs> what suffering did these stars have to endure <laughs> behind the scenes in order for all of us to be like, what a, what a pleasant movie they made. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that kind of thing would be an interesting story to explore. Um, I also really like, you know, speaking from a critical lens, how the movie depicts the, the, the reaction, not only the reaction to the technology, you know, people being like, this is vulgar. It's, it's just a toy. This isn't going to last. It's a novelty, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, when the jazz singer came out. But also how them approaching the dueling cavalier as just another one of their projects, how everyone is like, you know, mocking the dialogue and, and the, the you know, the sound issue, like it, it, it's a completely different style of movie making. So I love that you get sort of, uh, you get through some of the, you know, kind of in the weeds with how that would be accepted or, or not thereof uh, in, in real time kind of. And I, I really love that element of it as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the minute, they introduced 
talking into the equation. Everybody becomes a critic, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and so, much. and you know, it's sort of the mystique of your actor. You know, the only time you ever really heard them is in those radio interviews, right? Or if you're at the premiere. And I mean, they are hiding Lena's voice you know, when she's, they're doing the silent pitches at the beginning, right? And we're just going to, and they just do the kisses on the way out and uh, how she gets, hey, what's the big idea? You know what I mean? Like, can I speak or something? You know, it's my picture too. And, you know, how angry she gets at all that. And then kind of everybody in the industry knows what she sounds like, right? But to the general public, you know, they don't know what she sounds like. And then also too, like, it goes back to what I said about earlier with the Broadway melody, like, Don's little note about the I love you, I love you, I love you. And then it is mocked heavily in the test screening. I find yeah. I find that to be really interesting and in 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 a sense that I think it's also a little bit of like a criticism of like an actor and like the actor giving the notes or trying to go on their own path as opposed to like filmmaking being a creative process, right? And and uh, I think that the punishment for that is you're gonna hear some harsh criticisms and and then when that happens, I mean, they think that their careers are over, right? That like the picture is unsalvageable at that point until they have to come up with the, the drastic thing of turning it into a musical and, uh, you know, and kind of changing everything up. And, uh, and I, and, and I, I, I always find that interesting, but no, I agree with you too about like the, the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I, I, I read a story about, you know, you know, they couldn't get a certain sequence with Debbie Reynolds because she was not, she was 18 at the time. She, she, you know, she didn't, she wasn't classically trained in dance like, you know, Gene Kelly was or uh, even Donald O'Connor. And, and so she was kind of having to learn everything on the fly and it was driving Gene Kelly nuts. Um, and so he just one day went all out on Donald O'Connor and just, kind of screamed and yelled at him and then found him in a bar and said, Hey, I, I took this out on you and I took it out on you. Cause I know you could take it because if, if I took it out on her, cause it's actually about her, then, you know, I'm going to lose her and, and I'm never, we're never going to make this picture. Not all Connor understood that. And he said, that's fine. But if you ever do it again, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know what I mean? And, and so it's funny how all these characters are, you know, they're so good friends and they're such good people to one another. And then they probably never wanted to see each other for a long time after making this movie. Yeah. So it's just like you said, the irony of it being one of the most positive films, at least tonally speaking in cinema history. And yet it is, you know, and I guess it's not surprising because usually to make great art, you have to, <laughs> Usually, the the best movies are, are are made under terrible circumstances, right? Or are made under circumstances that aren't all sunny and shiny, and everybody's you know comes set and everybody's ready to make a movie, and and everybody loves their job and stuff like that. Like, there's usually turmoil. I mean, there's still the ongoing, and I'm sure there will be decades more, and maybe they'll make a movie out of this one about what happened with Mad Max Fury Road, right? And and, oh, yeah. and movies that we hear all the time now with studios. I mean. You know, for the love of God, we talk about HBO Max. They're literally releasing a a cut of a movie because of a tumultuous set and the director not getting to make a cut for it. I'm not going to mention the film because I don't want, I don't like the film or you know <laughs> any of that whole thing because I think it's dumb. Yeah. But like, it is funny that how this movie is a depiction of the past of Hollywood, and yet 
it's a depiction of the now then of Hollywood, but yet really, I don't think any of it has changed. I think it's still fundamentally the same. You know, there's still all the factors that are placed here for at least one part or another are still in play within modern cinema. And it's kind of funny that, you know, sort of the rules have changed and the budgets have changed and the stars have changed and sort of how movies are made have changed. But really the, the, the fundamentals of, I think of it are always still there. It's the blueprint of how the movies of the movies that we love, I guess. Even in the movie itself, like they're talking about, you know, um, Lena is convinced that, her and, and Don Lockwood are, are a romantic item. She's kind of delusional about it. Reading those tablets. Yeah, right? she's reading the yeah the same fan magazines that uh, that Kathy's <laughs> reading, I guess. But yeah, yeah, so even in here, it's like the media and like the room, like way before the internet or anything. Oh my god! Um, yeah. You know, it's it, it really does it captures that the levels of the reality behind the scenes of the movie. And then the reality and kind of the dichotomy between the truth and reality in the actual film itself. It's yeah, it has a lot. That's, that's the thing about this movie. You, you see the trailer or you, you know, you're aware of its reputation and you're like, Oh yeah, the musical where they're in the rain and he's on the street. Yeah, cool. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. The movie where he's uh, singing in the rain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's the iconic image of him hanging on the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's the, the movie has, it has a shockingly a lot to say about, the industry and and uh, yeah, I think it's, it makes it so much fun to watch. Um, I feel like we talked about Gene Kelly somewhat. Do you, you want to add any more on him before we get to? And I agree with you, the three supporting players who pretty much outshine him across the board. I mean, obviously he's a great dancer and singer, but we, you know, again, it's like and you know yeah. he's not really the big discovery of this film. No, well, I will say this about Kelly, who is, I mean, a legend. I mean, mm-hmm. He's one of the greatest. Yes. I think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. Personally, I just I, to me there's you, you, there's there's nobody right now. I think that has like charisma like him. I just you know that can do it all. Can sing, dance, especially dance the way he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, act, direct, write, just put it all together. I don't I don't know of anyone that can do all of that right now. Maybe it's well, and I, and I'm talking about just you know stage, film, whatever. I you know I know that there's there's probably people that are are great in all these different aspects. And, you know, there's great people on Broadway like the Manuel Miranda, or there's great actors that are kind of triple threats like you know Hugh Jackman or whatever. But for me, there's something about Gene Kelly and and just the face and the sort of aura behind it. He is a movie star. You know, every one of these characters and every one of these people are, are movie stars, but he is the the poster boy for it. And yet, I mean, we we gotta have to talk about the sequence. I mean, he the man literally was sick making this over a two to three span uh, of a, of days, um, making the iconic singing in the rain. Um, dancing in the rain, the, all the the rain coming down, actual rain. It wasn't. There was no milk. I just want to make that clear. There was no milk uh, for years. People said, "Oh, they made it." You know, had milk in there. No, it's just they used the lights to kind of reflect it in such a way that it, you know, that they could capture the rain within the moment. Um, and you know, it's infamous that he was very, very sick, and he still came and did this. Um, you know, kind of reminds me of like how Tom Cruise puts his life on the line. 
when he makes these Mission Impossible movies or, or frankly, any movie. I saw the picture um, for Seven. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> come on, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> got a great insurance policy over there. Something, that robot, you know? <laughs> my death wish. I can't tell. Maybe both. But yeah. You know, well, I think what was just a well, side note for that, I think right. what was the most death-defying stunt that Tom Cruise pulled off this year was going to a London cinema to see That's true. with Christopher McCormick. So um, <laughs> but uh <laughs> go back to Kelly. I mean, it is it is I think four of the greatest minutes of cinema ever put to screen. Mm -hmm. It is the magic and hope of what we could all see there. I mean, it is literally, it is a message about a guy who could take a cab and go home or take his car, you know, his town car home. And he's so happy about where his life is at now. You know, they, they've read He's found a purpose again. Right. And he's in love and he's just that he doesn't care. He's going to sing in the rain, you know, and, and the, just the moves that he makes and him in an umbrella and a straight lamp. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the big kind of crescendo when it goes down and it's just the music and he's kind of running in circles in the street. It's so powerful. And, then of course the little comedic moment at the end with the cop and and him getting constant and he just kind of goes I'm I'm singing in the rain like what can you do you can't you can't arrest me or you can't do anything for me. I'm just having fun out here you know it's yeah. just me dancing <laughs> in the rain I may look like a fool out here but that's what I'm doing and it's just so damn beautiful and every time it happens you're my heart kind of skips a beat. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, I get like, I get that sort of engine going again of like, you know, what we do, Rob, you know, we get into uh, the minutia of things and, and there's so much drama, I think in the world and so many bad things. And yet you, you see those four minutes and I watched it again before we did the show. And I just, I, I kind of was like, man, I think, I think maybe we're going to be okay. Like, I think it's one of those hopeful things. Like, uh, you know, yeah, our world's terrible, but there is a world that existed and it's our world that singing in the rain still exists. And I'm going to watch that and hope and pray that maybe some of that optimism leads in, but no, he's fantastic in this movie. I don't know what you think about the whole sequence, but yeah, no, I love that sequence. I think that's, it, it is sort of that moment of pure movie magic. And I, I think what makes it so powerful and so poignant is that it, it captures that, you know, this is a very positive movie and that's sort of the apex of, of that emotion uh, in the, in the film. And I think in real life, you know, we get those moments, but they're so few and far between with everything else that we have going on. It's, it's nice to just be able to sort of live in that headspace. Uh, and, and I think Kelly just exudes such a warmth on screen uh, mm -hmm. just with his presence. And then you add his, his singing voice and obviously his dancing to that uh, with the orchestration of the music and everything. It's, it, it is, it's indescribable in a way that, that scene, I think it's, it's funny how it's also takes place. I think two thirds of the way through the movie, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the title track is like buried deep in there, like right before basically <laughs> the third act. Um, so I think that's, that's sort of, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's sort of telling about kind of the, the positivity of the movie that it, it builds to that, uh, like I think a little bit over an hour in is when actually that scene takes place. Um, but no, I agree with you pretty much across the board. I love that moment. And there's just, there's so, some sequences in this movie that just have that, that um, 
you just want to run them sort of on repeat. I think that that one is definitely the top. I really love the um, I really love the Good Morning sequence with the three oh. of them, which again oh is a classic movie that until I watched this, I was like, that's what that's from. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it, like you saying earlier, most of the songs in this movie are not air quotes from this movie. They yeah. were around for like a decade or more beforehand yep. and just sort of plucked from obscurity to be plugged into this movie. But now they're known everything, every every song that's in this movie is now pretty much most famous for being in this movie. Um, so, but yeah, what are your thoughts on good morning? And then I want to get to oh my God. Uh, make mean, them laugh, I guess for a second. <laughs> um, good morning is um, it's so much fun to see them all three really in a scene. Cause you know, you've seen, Kathy do her thing and you've seen, you know, Cosmo and Don together in, in, in Moses supposes, which we can talk about that too, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, Oh my God, what a wonderful um, scene. Um, just to kind of see two actors kind of outdo themselves. But then you really have the, the, these three, our three main protagonists kind of come together and in, it's a song really about hope, you know, like, that we've talked the whole night through. We figured out this problem. Um, you know, we don't want the night to end um, because then, you know, the work really does begin and we're having so much fun. Um, but, you know, it's morning, you know, and it's a lovely morning, as Debbie Reynolds says. <laughs> and it's and it's so interesting because of, as you watch it, you do see what Kelly was kind of talking about with Debbie Reynolds um, not being, you know, the, the professional dancer that Kelly and O'Connor is. Mm-hmm. But I will also push back on him and say she does a damn good job in those scenes. And you could not tell that she hadn't had, you know, training her entire life for this. And she's magnetic on the screen, especially in the sequence for me. And I think that the two guys are kind of really dancing around her mm-hmm. and she's the highlight. And every time she's on the screen, she is the highlight of this movie. And I mean, it's it, what a debut for someone, you know what I mean? To, to, you know, to really break through and it's this movie and it's, you know, it's something you can put on your resume probably for the rest of your life. Is like, yeah, you know, I didn't do well in that last one, but I was, in singing in the rain, you know what I mean. And so, um, I love the sequence. I think it's great. I, I know that also there was it was one of those things where, at the end of the sequence, they flip over the couch, right? And right. that took him forty something, fifty something times to do. Um, and I believe they got it on the. I want to say, and I could be wrong about this, so you might have to correct me. I don't know if you have it, but I want to say that like one of the first couple takes they got it, and then they kept doing it over and over again, trying to re re sort of get it down and uh, to have a backup and they could never get it done. And, and then they just, they finally got it, but they ultimately went with the one they did originally. <laughs> and, yeah. And so it's, uh, with the, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of like that Fincher thing of like, how many times can you uh, do the same thing over and over again? You hear him doing like scenes like 70, 80 times. Right. And it's like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to look for in here, man? Um, and so, uh, cause perfection is never going to happen. Um, but that, that scene is perfect, man. I, I love it. 
Yeah, she's so radiant in that in that scene uh, and throughout the movie, but especially I think that's where it becomes sort of most apparent. And the fact that she had only been in, I think, maybe a handful of movies before that, this was her big breakthrough uh, and, and that it was such an arduous experience that apparently she said many, you know, much later that making Singing in the Rain and Surviving Childbirth were like the two hardest things she'd ever done. Um, and then, of course, you know, her own daughter, Carrie Fisher, was about the same age when she popped in star wars uh so that's that's kind of a fun just a little bit of trivia with the two of them um yeah i don't know she's she's great in this it, she has that she has that fresh-faced ingenue thing going for her and she just really holds her own with gene kelly and donald o'connor both as far as their acting and and then you know dancing and most of the singing she does her herself she, there's a couple songs like i mentioned earlier that she was uh, dubbed over in but yeah she's so what a great addition to this and he really you need a female lead that can hold her own with gene kelly and i think just the scene where they meet um where she's like trying to get away from the paparazzi essentially and and or no a bunch of fans and uh, jumps in the back of her car and uh, the sort of the verbal sparring that they have going on back and forth. I love that scene. And I love how strong of a character she is just right from the get go. Cause it would have been really easy for them to, you know, to have her character be more of a pushover. And, and even when they decide to use her voice uh, to dub Lena, she's very clear about, you know, it's only for one movie and that's sort of the crux of the, the climax. And I, yeah, I love Kathy Selden as a character and, uh, and Debbie Reynolds performance. Well, she also has like her own set of opinions. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like she, she's her own person. She's uh, she's not, uh, <laughs> you know, she's she doesn't really 100% um, buy into the studio. You know, I mean, she becomes a part of it and she wants to make movies and stuff, but she's not really, she's not looking, I think, to be Lena or, or, or be Don. She's trying to be, a, you know, what she considers to be an actor. You know what <laughs> they, I mean? And he, they have and he whole conversation about that. Yeah, and he kind of mocks her a little bit, you know, like uh, you know, or Miss Shakespeare and stuff like that, right? Um, but as the movie goes on, you know, she, and she's falling in love, she she becomes invested, not you know, not really in her career. She becomes invested in trying, you know, trying to save Lamont Lockwood because of the man that she loves. You know, they're in love. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a love story. Um, and then, of course, you know. If, if he can do that and they know that by her saving the voice then of course then rf is so impressed by that then he's able to give her who wants to give her a big kind of picture you know kind of carry her along it's very much like like you know like don in a lot of ways you know he she started off very small and she made this this big sacrifice you know or this big moment for her and she took advantage of her opportunity and then she kind of goes into it um and then you know Technically, she's kind of right place, right time, but you know she's paid her dues, and I think everybody's paid their dues in this film. Um, and so it's an interesting commentary there. And but I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, two dynamic, wonderful legends, and I mean, their their kind of debuts are are some of the greatest debuts of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars and Singing in the Rain, and and uh, and then of course. Yeah, you have Carrie Fisher's daughter right now, Billy Lord, who I thought was extraordinary last year in Booksmart, and I think she was great in that. And I think she she has such a such such potential, like her grandmother and her mother. And it's crazy how talented those three women are, and and how um, how when I was watching Booksmart last year, 
just how much of of that kind of screen presence I felt of Debbie Reynolds more than her mother at times. Mm-hmm. Um, of just kind of every moment she's in, she is the highlight. You yeah. remember Billy in those in those scenes in that crazy comedy. You know what I mean? Um, it, and it's already the movie's already good enough, but then you add her in it and it makes it something special. Um, you know, the movie is it would have been just okay singing in the rain would have been fine if you know it wouldn't have been probably the greatest musical of all time if it didn't have debbie reynolds playing this character and this character be fleshed out the way it is not only does she have her own opinions too just to go back on that i love that not you know she well the first time we see her professionally she jumps out of the cake and uh, <laughs> and and launches into a performance of all i do is dream of you which i you know i'm I'm a fan of that song just from hearing like Michael Bublé's cover and like other versions of that song. I, I didn't even know that song was in this movie until I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, like I said. Um, but that her critique of his career, and this is right before the shift to talkies, is gets under his skin in such a mm-hmm. like visceral way, not only one, because he's attracted to her, but also because he's like, he questions his whole, he's like a, an existential crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> early on in this movie. Um, yeah. And um, kind of has to reassess his place in the world and ultimately gets to the point where he's singing in the rain. So that's, again, you know, that's a kind of a, a universally relatable, I think, crossroads that a lot of everyone at some point is just like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be wasting my time with this? Like, what is the, the purpose? And then have him triumph in that scenario, I think, is also very life-affirming in a, in a big way. That's, I think, part of why Good Morning and singing in the rain, the song itself are such, I don't know, are such uh, enriching experiences. Just like, you know, if you're in a bad mood, you put on one or two or both of those uh, scenes. And I think it's, you know, like you said, you're sort of, then turn away from from like the news for a second and turn on (laughs) singing in the rain, just like refresh a little bit and like, okay, all right. It's a good restart button. It is, it really is. It is. It is the ultimate like, you're down and and man you're just tired of seeing uh you know the news is what i'll just say as a right. statement um then yeah for sure you're gonna want to put something on i think that's it's also just something for your whole family and you to watch like you right. don't have to uh you know you don't have to spend a ton of money on on a new streaming movie or something you can put on an all-time classic and the whole family can put a smile on their face i mean like if you don't like singing in the rain I mean, I I would really want to question what movies you like. I mean, because like this is such a likable movie. You know, it's 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 so great. I mean, like I know I would I wouldn't want to meet that person. Like I would I just I I couldn't. It sits at a hundred percent. I dread the day somebody gets the 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 gumption to write that take. Um, that it's and gets what is it, Armand White? Isn't that the guy that's the I, it's famous? Got, it'd be it. It'd probably be him. <laughs> yeah, um, probably. And, and he's like, or, I rewatched it. I'm filing it in review. Yeah, you know, Garbage. singing in the rain. More like, you know, I wanted to take a nap in the rain. Or singing so, I in don't my know pain what while I'm watching. Yeah, it. exactly. There yeah. you go. That's better. I'm not great yeah. at those. Um, but uh, yeah, he would. He tried to turn it into also like, you know, 10 other movies did this better. And it's like, nobody's talking about those other ones. We're talking about the movie that's at hand. 10 other movies um, that probably came after it and are cribbing <laughs> heavily from singing in the rain. That's the other thing too. If you watch something like, you know, we mentioned Moonlight, 
earlier this episode, something like La La Land, which a lot of people love. I've covered on, on the show, you know, mm-hmm. great movie. Takes a lot of stuff from this movie though. <laughs> like, yep. That, quite, that's, quite a lot. It's more of a pastiche <laughs> movie than, uh, than an original work in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, <laughs> you know, I think it's fine if people enjoy La La Land. I, I do myself, but it's also like, you also have to be real that, you know, uh, Damien Chazelle was borrowing heavily from Singing in the Rain and this era of Hollywood musical. And so, to deny that mm. is just foolish, I think. Well, an umbrella is a share work too, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that's one that he just took a lot from. Uh, and yeah, the sort of like Singing in the Rain stuff. And I think like when the first time I saw La La Land, I had a little bit of the feeling there from this movie. I was like, this feels very Singing in the Rain like. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this movie's kind of manipulating me a little bit to think of like singing in the rain. And I, the more I watched, I was like, no, it's not singing in the rain. And it's also, and I've always made this argument, like La La Land isn't a musical because a musical is a musical all the way through. This is a musical. The movie we're talking about singing in the rain, that's a musical. It commits to being a musical from the, literally the opening credits. Right. It commits to be a musical. They're literally singing the song. You're going to hear two thirds later in the film. You know, and so, um, and there are tons of songs throughout the film. There's dance sequences and numbers throughout it. In moments in La La Land, there are lulls, especially in the, like, most of the second act, where there is no Mm -hmm. singing, there's no dancing, there's none of that. There's just two people being sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, we can't, we can't get ahead in life. And it's like, Oh my God. And then everyone's like, what a great original musical. Like maybe they'll do it on Broadway one day. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That wouldn't be a musical. It'd be a play at that, at that point, you know? So, uh, I, sorry, that's, that's just a tangent for another thing. No, no. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I, well, it's worth I don't think, I think it's hard to make a good musical yeah. anymore. I don't think that there are a lot of, you know, you see it a lot where, and I guess that that's why a lot of people cling to La La Land. It's like, well, it's an original musical. And it's like, yeah, 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 I get it, even though it's not. And like, I get it because it could be a lot worse. We could just get remakes of every Broadway musical that comes out alive, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, based off of this summer and what got released, I'm sure that Hamilton one's getting made right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I love Hamilton, but it's, I, I don't think it would be a good screen adaptation well Um, well, let's wait wait hold on let's let's jump on that hamilton (laughs) tangent for a second because i uh, i never got a chance to see that show on stage uh so i you know didn't really get into the soundtrack because i didn't have the context you know it's it's hard to really appreciate the music for hamilton uh without seeing hamilton so when it dropped on disney plus i watched it with my wife like the next week or whatever and i have been obsessed with it (laughs) Instead, I play it constantly. My daughter knows the lyrics to some of it. Oh, that's great. Uh, my wife is now hates it because it's everywhere. And yeah. I'm just like, you know, I will just quote lines overload. spontaneously. But yeah. yeah, that that is an original musical. And I remember watching it and just thinking to myself, if they if they make this into, first of all, I don't know how they would make this into a real movie. You know, I that I, yeah, there's no way I they're not know. going to try. No, I think that, I think, well, I mean, it's kind of the thing within the Heights. I mean, you know, no one really thought that that could, and then we're getting that film. So I think it'll, it'll just take the entry point to do it. It's the question of, should you do it? That's the thing. It's like, do you need to really do it? Right. Like, do I need to see 
Hamilton when now I have a version of mm-hmm. the original Broadway musical I can see from the original cast. Right. There's no reason to make it. The other ones, yeah, I mean, because you don't have that. Will they try to do it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, I think it'll be very hard because I don't, unless they can get in a time machine, um, you know, get in the sort of tenant time machine or invert some time, um, you know, live in well, Miranda, <laughs> everyone's going to want him to play that part. And I can, I can tell you this as somebody that's seen it on stage and listened to that soundtrack. I listened to the soundtrack before I saw the musical years before it. Um, mm-hmm. Because I really, because somebody told me like, basically if you listen to the soundtrack, you're listening to the play and you can kind mm-hmm. of visualize, you know, you're listening to the musical. And so I can kind of envision, envisioned everything in my head. So maybe I guess like from a cinematic standpoint now, I kind of know where, you know, call me Disney. I'm available to make <laughs> Hamilton the movie for you for, you know, for nothing. Um, <laughs> just give me my Oscar nominations, I guess. Um, but uh, when I saw the play, I, you know, obviously in, it was like in a company with San Antonio, you know, in San Antonio and it didn't have Lynn. And, and, and uh, um, I can tell you this, that everyone in that cast was great. Uh, the, the guy that played Hamilton was trying really hard to be Lin-Manuel Miranda and not be his own version of, of Hamilton. Um, and so when people kind of dog Lin-Manuel Miranda for that, I was like, it's not easy. Go watch that performance from somebody else. It's not very easy to tap into those those little you know leather shoes or whatever they are back then <laughs> to kind of make that character who he is. It's it, There is a charisma behind that performance yeah. so and i and i think that the the only way that they could really do it successfully is if he is the lead of the film i mean, they, when if, I mean if, i'm assuming disney would be the one to make it they could always digitally de-age him to kind of throughout the movie that oh yeah because that's, that's what i want to that's what i want to see i mean it's also you have a spend your like, beliefs like 30 year old man playing a nine-year-old at one point in that musical that's it's true just, that is true i mean that is true be, you have to suspend your belief <laughs> it is, you know for a movie is, that i mean it's also double casted roles i don't know it's I, so much of that is so specific to the theater uh the turntable on the stage and like the ways everything's uh you know how precise all the choreography is and i've been doing deep dives on youtube for the last couple months on anything i can find about (laughs) hamilton because like i said i need a distraction from the pandemic from the yeah it was a wonderful situation it was um, a wonderful two weeks when we all liked it. You yeah. know what I mean? And then the bad takes came in and, and kind of ruined all the fun for everyone. Uh, yeah. So I remember yeah, thinking of seeing Hamilton and then if, if, if they make a movie of that and it doesn't win best picture, it's somebody screwed up, you know, it's, so it's sort yeah. of like, how do they, cause that's an original musical. That's yeah. like, there is, it's a, that's a work of genius in the way that singing in the rain is a work of genius is that there are these singular musicals. And, you know, like I said, I love La La Land and do you have all these jukebox musicals, the Moulin Rouges and all that stuff. And those are fine, but they are not original musicals in the same way. I don't really think that, like you're saying, I don't really think that they're being made uh, at least in the cinemas and certainly not to the quality of the, you know, of movies like singing in the rain or, or this era of, you know, sort of the musical heyday. Yeah. I mean, no, we talk about like original musicals and yeah, we, I'm, I'm sure there'll be somebody who says, well, you guys, this wasn't technically an original music because right. the music was made. It's right. like, come That's on, true. come on. Name me the other things that, <laughs> that singing in the rain came from that, you know, that you're the like, song singing like in this, the rain. <laughs> I like this version of singing in the rain way more than in the film. 
or make them laugh or, right. you know, Moses supposes it's like, come on, you do, you know what, you know what it means. Like it's, it, it, this isn't also a jukebox musical, like, you know, something Boz Lerman dreamed up in a weird dream at night. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's purpose in the time. It's like they owned it. They couldn't figure out what to do with these things. They put them in other side. It didn't work. They brought it all together and it made sense. Like the, it's, right. it, 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 it's, it, that's why it, it's so wonderful because it's like, okay, they did find the home. They found their niche. They found the way to tell this story with these songs that they always wanted to do. They always wanted to do something with this music and they do it in such an iconic way because they give it over to a master of, you know, of song and dance and, and Kelly and Don and, and they just take these, these, really interesting sort of just simple songs and elevate them into classic cinematic moments. I mean, you know, transitioning back to singing in the rain, make them laugh is one of the greatest physical Mm -hmm. comedy sequences of all time. And what Donald O'Connor does there is breathtaking. And to know it's done with, no wires, you know, to, to nowadays you're doing it with wires and green screen, get out the wires. To know that he had to do that so many times. Yes. And like you said earlier, he, he was a terrible, terrible smoker and, you know, didn't really take care of himself, but man, he, he put himself on the line for this. And that's what you could all say about all these performance. They put their heart and soul into these performances and it plays and, you know, it doesn't turn into dread because you can see that for people in other films or whatnot, you can see maybe uh, that they're not having fun doing this somehow or another. That's the greatness of these actors is they're finding a way that they make this look like fun. And I mean, like the sequence with the the sort of the dummy or the doll in mm-hmm. make them laugh to me and the, the sound effects with it. I mean, it's so, so good, Rob. It's so good. It is. It is so good. It, it's also in a, in the same vein as as singing in the rain. That number itself. It's so undeniable as as a a, a piece, like as a a piece of cinema, just in in and of itself. It's such an undeniably uh, infectious moment that I defy someone to watch that and not at least smile. Uh, <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. I, I was tried to. We, we, my wife and I tried to put this movie on and watch it with our, our toddler over the weekend. And she's in that very rebellious, defiant stage that three-year-olds are. Uh, and especially <laughs> more so it. now. It's like, ah, <laughs> I want to watch, you know, she's been really in like magic school bus and like that shows and stuff. Uh, it's a lot of kids shows. So that didn't really work so much. Then I was watching this and my wife was in the room with me and, and she was like, see, this is what she would like. She would like this part. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm going to try again with singing in the rain and I'm going to show her this scene. Uh, first and try and hook her with it because I it's it is such a a brilliant performance as you're saying the physical comedy the expressions he makes and all of it is just I think you can yeah it's just I don't know I don't even know it's kind of indescribable but in in the same way as singing in the rain and that's what I think is so impressive about the way that all these songs fit together that they are pulled from all over the place. And yet it still feels cohesive as a piece that you have, you know, the, the moment, the big physical comedy moment would make them laugh. You have the big, like inspiring singing in the rain uh, moment. You have 
um, you have uh, you were meant for me the like romantic it, with the 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 uh, kind of the studio sunset uh, scene. You have um, you fit as a fiddle, kind of the vaudeville number, mm-hmm. and uh, you are my lucky star, and you know all these songs that are just sprinkled throughout that feel like they belong together, but they you know kind of stitched into a narrative. And I think that mm-hmm. it, it's it's amazing that it works the way it does. Like you mentioned, Moses Supposes, which is oh. just a, a kind of a tongue twister set to music. It, yeah. Brilliant. It's, it's so good. And I mean, it, 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 it is almost like within a tongue twister, you know, if you and I did one, um, which I'm not, we're not going to do one. Cause I, I'm, I can't do one right now. I'll sound embarrassed. Um, you know, if you and I try to do it with a tongue twister, it's, it's almost like a duel between the two of us it's yeah. it is it is a, a dance of words right so the idea of like you said of turning a tongue twister into a, sort of a musical dance number right and really these two actors and gene kelly and donald connor just going toe-to-toe i felt like it's almost like a duel mm-hmm. i feel like <laughs> because like we we know how great gene kelly is and then we see make him laugh and we're like, Oh my God, Donald O'Connor is like amazing. Like that, that scene is literally just Gene Kelly looking back, you know, kind of behind the camera or off screen, you know, cause you know, he starts the scene sitting there and Cosmo's playing the piano and then goes into it. Right. And he's dancing for him. It's mm-hmm. literally one great artist admiring another one when you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't scene, even see Gene Kelly again in that scene. It just, that's that yeah. kind of, focuses over to Donald O'Connor for the rest of it. And then you go to Moses Supposes. You know, it is, to me, it is a fun, playful thing of these two guys know each other. So, of course, they would do something silly like this to kind of <laughs> like you know, throw off the, the dialect coach, right? You know? and, um, but then also in a meta sort of way, I mean, it really feels like that's the scene where Gene Kelly got a lot of the respect for Donald O'Connor that he did. Because Donald O'Connor isn't Gene Kelly's partner that he made a lot of movies with before. Um, you know, he he was hired late on in the film. You know, Kelly usually works with, with other people. And, and it was the first time they'd ever worked together. And I think mm-hmm. it was the last time they ever worked together. Um, but yeah, he, 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 it's, it's almost like when you see that. And you can... I think that Gene Kelly's great in the scene. But for me, once again, I think it's Donald O'Connor who carries it and is I, my eyes are sort of glued to him a little bit more than Gene Kelly. Yeah. And there's no question. It almost feels like he's a little bit of half step ahead. Like it, for me at least. And it's to me, I think as like the director, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, this guy's, I respect him for it. And so I like that there is this sort of duality between what the characters are on screen as opposed to what's also all the, the, you know, the trouble that was off screen with it as well. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that O'Connor won the golden globe for uh, best actor, motion picture, musical or comedy. One of the only big awards that this movie actually got. <laughs> um, and I think, and it went to O'Connor, not Gene Kelly, I think is very, oh, it's, that must've been an awkward table. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> That's why they never worked again <laughs> together. You got my golden globe, even though <laughs> I've won, thing. There's... even though I won Oscars the year before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And golden globe, such a respected award, right? Oh, I mean the Hollywood foreign press. <laughs> Where they have to get you drunk in order to get into the room. <laughs> that's another. That's another. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, God. Yeah. I I still 
Yeah, I think my moment where I really broke from uh, from respecting <laughs> the Golden Globes was when The Tourist was nominated for multiple awards. Wait a minute. Uh, you mean, let me just say that again. You mean Golden Globe nominee. Right. Like, yeah, sorry. My bad. <laughs> Golden Globe nominated drama, uh, The Tourist. <laughs> Uh, and both <laughs> no, I thought, that's a movie that doesn't exist too it's such a uh, oh i don't it's, well, it's I, a, I, it is a dramedy but i thought it was nominated in comedy was it nominated it was nominated <laughs> comedy musical which that movie is a that movie is not funny at all like no that that movie is is i mean it's trash but yes, it's also exactly. it's also a drama of of anything like, I'm not a big fan of category fraud generally, but if, you know, <laughs> if it gets The Martian, which is a movie I really like, nominated, then sure. Yeah, you want to call it a comedy because he says a couple of jokes in I his mean, little videos, then I yeah. guess go for it. But I uh, mean, that, that, that movie's got, a, I think, a more optimistic tone. It does. So I can, I can see it. I don't agree with it, but I can see it. You know what I mean? It, it's not when I, you know, I sit here and I go, oh, God, you know. Like, um... What what was it like? Uh, like something like Green Book when that was comedy or musical. I'm like, this movie's not funny. Yeah. Like Vice isn't funny. Like these movies aren't funny. You know what I mean? Like, and, and a lot of times these movies aren't good either, which is yeah. a bigger issue that I have. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, you know that's well, you know they just want to get in the room. Pretty um, much the room where it happens. It goes back to go. Hamilton again. Back in the Hamilton. Um, <laughs> I is there anything about Singing in the Rain that we haven't said that you wanted to make sure we got out? Because I don't really have that many more notes left. I think I'm kind of petering out here. So since this is essentially, you know, I was going to ask you at some point if you think this is the greatest musical ever made, that's sort of become the thesis statement of this conversation, um, <laughs> which is not, you know, I don't know if I'm 100% in agreement. It's up there for sure. It's in the conversation. Okay. Definitely. Well, uh, I'd have well. to see all of the other musicals. I'm not as well versed in musicals probably as you are. Okay. So let's put it that way. I think yeah, I need I mean, to, what, what else is up there? You know how you were saying how, uh, you know, if this is clearly your number one and then it's a battle for second place. So what are like the three to five that are battling for second place? Oh God. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that kind of varies for, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe cabaret, you know, okay. I think cabaret is one that, you know, fiddler on the roof. Um, you know, people of the producers, uh, you know, they, um, you, you know, I, I'm, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so many classic ones that you could, you know, you can go into like Rogers and Hammerstein, you can go Mary Poppins, yeah. um, you know, uh, West Side Story, uh, you can go American Paris if you want. I mean, you could go Chicago. I think Chicago might be the last great one we ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could go, uh, the Wizard of Oz, um, if you know, Funny Girl. There, there's, there's so many musicals you could go. Guys and Dolls, uh, you know, Oliver. If you like that sort of thing, um, The Music Man, Gigi, the, the Disney Beauty and the Beast. I think is the best one. <laughs> the animated um, one, to be yeah, clear. The animated one, <laughs> to be clear. Disney, yeah. Not the one with the weird beast. Um, you the know, behind the scenes shots of uh, Dan Stevens in that giant suit are hilarious, though. Oh, no. I mean, they're just, they're just <laughs> all time. Uh, the Sound of Music, Mimi in St. Louis, uh, you know, uh, I'm 
sure there's some wait, i'm wait, sure there's, there's tons you know there's one missing here i think it's uh la la land i think you forgot to mention that i didn't say that <laughs> um <laughs> i i even once maybe once is the last yeah, once great is one really good. and uh and that's i don't know if necessarily that's a, i know it's a broadway musical now and everything but i, I think that that just that kind of blurs the line of what a musical I is agree. you know and I, so it's it, a lot there's, of, there's tons there in the second place is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. or that you could have your five meld out to, but if you don't have singing in the rain in your top spot, or at least in your five, I'll say, yeah. if you don't have this movie, at least in your top five, then I really want to understand why. Mm-hmm. Like I really, like that is a genuine question as to why you wouldn't have this musical in at least a top five. I'll give you that. If you don't have it at number one, Maybe you just you grew up with something different, or you know something hits you and it's personally differently. That's fine. Right. Usually that happens for a lot of us with number one. So I'll amend my statement earlier of that. Well, this I think this is personally the number one. It may not be for everybody else, but it, it's if it's not in your top the, five. Come yeah, on, yeah, it's locked into the con- in contention for sure. It's on the Mount Rushmore yep. of musicals. There you go. All right, it is. It is there. Um, it's not going anywhere. So, you know, so, you know, I, I would say something second for me would be like the umbrellas of Cherbourg. That's okay. why for me, like La La Land doesn't work. It's uh, two of the greatest musicals of all sense. time, you know, <laughs> two of the greatest <laughs> musical of all time. And then I can feel the, I can feel it getting ripped up. You know what I mean? And so uh, it, 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 it got personal Chazelle, but no, and I don't hate Damien Chazelle. I like his movies. Um, other than, well, I love first man and whiplash is phenomenal. Um, and, uh, Guy and Madeline on a park bench, great debut. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one, one of the most underrated gems, but yeah, no, I, I, in terms of singing in the rain, I, I think that the, the one sequence we haven't really talked about, and I think that it, I think it's a great sequence and it's very underrated and it doesn't really have any of our main, uh, characters in it. It's not really remembered a lot, but I think it's a wonderful transition. You know, in movies, we have a lot of transitional things that happen. And sometimes they can be very throwaway. Sometimes it'd be very eye-rolly. The transition of when RF shuts down, you know, the Dueling Cavalier, and we're going to sound, and it hits the, you know, hits all the papers, and showing all the different kinds of movies that are created by just having sound and color, right? Mm-hmm. And then going into the sort of beautiful girls dance number, and showing, you know, kind of the, 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 it's such a weird, it's such a weird song too, the, of all that, like showing all the different kinds of famous looks of women in classic cinema for me. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was blown away by that. I think that that's, I think that, you know, you can look at it through a lens of like, oh, it's, you know, I don't think it's, you know, kind of sexualizing them in a way. I think it's like, all the different great actresses and what their looks were at the time. Like this is what, this was what they all looked like. And it's really cool. And it's really interesting. And it's, and it's a way of sort of explaining a little bit more of the era. Um, it's defined by the clothes and the looks and the styles and everything, but all the, the kind of, <laughs> I love just how it, the sequence where, you know, it's a, all the different songs and, and movies and musicals and, and all the numbers of talkies are kind of melted together and they make a song, right? you know, and it's, and I think it is so interesting and it's one of, 
I think Donnan and Kelly's great directorial flourishes throughout the film. We haven't really talked, I think, enough about just how great this movie is shot and set up. And we've we talked about the performances and everything, but the hard work also goes to abiding screenplay and also then the just the direction by these two guys who you know we don't ever really talk about as some of the greats of all time mm-hmm. because they didn't make really like overabundance of of films that you know would put them up in the pantheon of all the greats but i mean you look at american paris it's an all it's another one of those where it's an all-time classic but then you look at singing in the rain and it's like these guys knew what they were doing and the mental exhaustion. I mean, like there's always that lot, you know, it's what they say in sports about LeBron James, like the mental exhaustion it must take, even though he's lost most of them going to the finals every single year, like having those long, long seasons, the mental break that these directors have to do in order to go from one giant musical to the next. I mean, it must have felt extremely daunting to do that because you're trying to top yourself you're not topping some other director or some other actors. You're literally topping yourself. It's extremely hard to do. Um, and over time, it, it's it's shown that, man, this is just aged so well. Like I said, I think it's the one of, if not the number one film shown on TCM of all time. And it deserves it because it is, it's, I think, the greatest musical of all time it's a top 10 film of all time period. Like if I had to do one for um, the American film Institute or just film in general, if somebody said, what do you think, not your personal favorite art, but what do you think are the 10 greatest contributions to cinema? And you could put those in a time capsule in like 120 years or, you know, whatever, when, when COVID's finally gone, um, you know, we look back and say, what were, what were movies that were great at that time? Um, I would say that this one goes in that than that sort of time capsule for sure. I mean, we're talking about it on a podcast now, what 70, almost 70 years after it came out. So I think that, and it, like you said, it feels as relevant now to the business and, you know, human nature, et cetera, et cetera, as it, as it did in 1952. So I think that's a testament to it. And it's, it is kind of crazy. Like, as you mentioned that Gene Kelly isn't really thought of as a, filmmaker as much as he is a dancer, a singer, an actor, a performer, because he, I'm looking at his his sort of uh, filmography and he's directed, he directed, I don't know, maybe like roughly 10 movies. Uh, And I think it's just, it's just a testament to how huge of an impact and a contribution he made on screen with his, you know, with his singing and dancing that, that, that people kind of forget that he co-directed this movie. At least I do. Oh yeah, no, no. I think it. I mean, he's a great. He's he's Gene Kelly, man. Yeah, Gene, Gene Kelly's an icon, and um, you know, I, I I can't wait for you and I to talk about on this podcast, Rob, about the making of this movie that David Fincher does. Like we've said, we've mm-hmm. spoken it into existence now, Fincher. It's exactly what I want to see. <laughs> um, I, I want it called Rain. That's what I want it called. Um, you know, or just Kelly or something like that. Uh, since he, you know, called make of it's just mink. So yeah, something along those lines, or maybe it's, or maybe Gene. it's, maybe it's Gene, maybe it's Donnan. 
And, you know, it's all told from Donnan's point. Oh, that would actually be interesting. That would be uh, interesting. <laughs> man, I'm coming up with good ideas for it's, Netflix to give sort them of, checks. You know? <laughs> sort of like how uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is a Mr. Rogers movie, but not really about Mr. Rogers. It's more yeah. like from another perspective on Mr. Rogers. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. And I, I do think that biopics that are most successful tend to focus on a specific window of time and not just be like first he was born and then he lived his entire epic life until his deathbed yeah unless, um, unless you unless you've got like a three or four hour runtime like a right. malcolm x or like an aviator that's true you know what i mean where you yeah really exactly dive into that you know what i mean but it, yeah i agree with you it rarely is the case where those two hour crunch time ones work out but then I, of course there's you know there's movies that are set in that small time too that are very generic um you know one of them won an Oscar last year. So I won't say any <laughs> names, Judy. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is, this is what it is. Awesome. All right. Well, Ryan McQuaid, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan McQuaid 77. You can find me over at insessionfilm.com. I'm the associate editor over there of content. Uh, I do also the extra film podcast. I do the chase and gold podcast. We've got a lot of exciting news. We've hired a lot of new writers over at In Session Film. Um, I'm so excited and honored to have them as part of the team. Uh, you can also find my writing over at Awards Watch, Film Speak, and the soon-to-be-live website of Awards Radar as well. I'm a busy man now. Yeah, it uh, sounds like it. Jeez. <laughs> I'm a busy man, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I write for a lot of places that, uh, that support great content. And so they all deserve a great shout out awesome well ryan thank you for bringing singing in the rain to the table and giving me uh the excuse to watch this again uh, i'm really curious what your next whatever whatever we're going to talk about next time how do you follow <laughs> phantom thread and singing in the rain like um, I, I i don't know maybe it's a miyazaki maybe it's something like that maybe it's something like that maybe it's you'll um, surprise me i'm sure I, i'm going to surprise you for sure <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm going to go watch Make Them Laugh on YouTube because uh, I think we could all use a little bit of uh, cheering up nowadays. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. <laughs>